Uh, and finally, I get to call up Pastor Chad, who's bringing our message today. Can you say the word February again? Say that. February. Say it February. again. February. February. Now you're making me think about it. <laughs> February. Just across the pond, they say February, a little February. bit different. February. Kind of roll. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor here. I'm looking forward to jumping in. And um, by the way, we have a service tonight at 630. I'm going to be speaking tonight. I got a, a word I want to share tonight. The Holy Spirit's been doing some, some neat stuff on Sunday nights. And I want to encourage you to come. I want to share 10 things I currently don't like. Um, this is more of a therapy session for me up here. You know, you get in front of a lot of people. People fear public speaking more than death, which is so interesting. I love to find people that have a fear of public speaking and then me make them think I'm going to get them on stage. You can see people like left leg and left arm lock up when I go into that. Um, Ten things I currently, just a little therapy session in front of everyone, some relinquishment. Ten things I currently don't like. This, I got triggered at Whole Foods um, a week ago. Who in here shops at Whole Foods? Something's wrong with you. And you can judge me, that's fine. I'm going to judge you for a few minutes. Um, the first thing that is currently in my journal at Starbucks, you know, we all have these little journals. When you walk into Whole Foods, why does it smell wrong? I'm serious. And now there's a like Whole Foods Junior Varsity over here, uh, Sprouts. Really? Sprouts? Sean and Carrie Curtis just moved here from San Francisco, and they said, oh, we love Sprouts. And I thought, I bet you do. (laughs) There's another one, too. Um, It's not Sprout. It's between Sprouts and Whole Foods. Fresh Market. If something is so healthy, why does it smell not healthy? You walk into Five Guys and Jesus Christ is in there somewhere. You walk into Whole Foods and it's like, I feel like I need to call somebody, like the authorities or something. When you walk through produce and you have a headache, something's wrong. Second thing I currently do not like right now, kale. If you have a t-shirt, if you own a t-shirt that has the word kale on it, something's wrong with you. I don't know where it started, but somehow now kale is super food of the millennium. If vegetables could talk, they would all be jealous of kale because in the last 10 years, it has gone from, I've never heard of it for 30, I've never heard of it for 40 years of my life. It's like kale and all of a sudden quinoa is like, hey, don't forget about us, quinoa. We got everybody quinoa now. Um, Jim Gaffigan says there's a kale propaganda in America. I really believe that. People will have a smoothie and they will tell you that they put kale in their smoothie. Who cares? Like, it's like, I'm better than you. Have you seen the t-shirts that say kale? Yes. That's kind of funny. Number three, I don't like people who love whole foods and kale. The last thing I want to do is name names, so I'm not going to name any names, but 
get that off there. That's inappropriate. Get that off there. Make him fat, God. Make him fat. The next thing I currently don't like right now, just being honest, low-fat foods. It's called fat and happy for a reason. Fat, fat people are happier than skinny people. Is that not true? Is that not true? If you've ever seen a bubbly, skinny person, you're lying. I come into a room, I'm like, man, I'm just happy to be alive. I just got back from so-and-so. You go to Chick-fil-A, their food is delicious. They do everything but blow in your face and tell you you're worth it after you order the food. You leave there like, this is the happiest moment of my life. Chick-fil-A's got to calm down, by the way. They have got to stop. I'm like, man, you're crossing the line. I feel like we need to go on vacation getting to know each other. All I want is a biscuit. Number five, unsweet tea. I was talking to Joe today. Joe's from Connecticut. Joe, where are you at? I was talking to Joe, and we were discussing how everybody from the north moves south. You never hear of anyone retiring up there. You retire where there's sweet tea. Deuteronomy 6.4. Maybe Chad 6.4. I'll get to my sermon in a minute for the religious people. All right, number six. People who love low-fat foods and unsweet tea. I don't want to name any names, but all right, let's go to the next one. Something else that's really been bothering me, fasting. I told the Lord the other day, I, I've never enjoyed it when he calls me to fast. I, have you ever felt like you heard God laugh? Some people, it's the strangest thing. First time I heard God laugh, I'm like, there's no way this could be you. You're supposed to be miserable and not like us and you're laughing. No one's ever enjoyed. Who in here, you've gone on a 40-day fast, and day 30, you're like, man, this is awesome. No, you lick cookbooks at Barnes & Noble on a 30-day fast. That's a low moment. It happened. I'm at Barnes & Noble, acting like I'm reading the Bible, holding the Bible right here. You pick up a picture of spaghetti. When you're on a 30-day, 40-day fast, you see spaghetti, you put your tongue on the paper to lick it. Number eight, silent retreats. Father said, I want you to spend a day and not talk. I said, I don't want to do that. I'm an extrovert. I like to talk. Silent. It's typically the things you don't like that are good for you. Number nine, the DMV. I paid my car taxes 43 years ago, and I still have not gotten my 2018 sticker. I can't call anymore. I don't know what else to do. You ever feel like you go to the DMV and you feel like you're on, on the mission field? You, you feel like, like this place, this could be the greatest treasure hunt ever. Just stand in that line, take that number. We'll be to you next June. Number 10, any exercise that works on my core. I mean, I'm all about going bowling, maybe playing golf, something strenuous like that. But when it's like, hey, pick up this tire and crunch, and, and you ever have those? And, and listen, Ashley, I know you got a picture. I don't want to name any names, but 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but when you have someone that I'm just doing a push-up and, you know, let's just hypothetically say Mike were to say, visualize your core when you're doing push-ups. And my answer to that is no. No. My core is meant to receive daily bread, not... <laughs> If I've learned anything in the past, really since we started the Ascending the Mountain series, typically with God, not, not just life in general, with God, the things that we don't like that he puts on our plates are the things that groom us the best. <laughs> really, it's not just since the series. If, if, if it all ended today and I, crawl, I caught the big red wagon out of here, and stood before the king of glory and he were to say, what do you think the best thing you ever learned down there was? I think I would tell him at this point, it's, it's like that silly song we sing, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think that the um, fellowship of his sufferings is what grooms us the most. You know that pain's the world's greatest teacher? And we try to avoid it. We'll do anything to avoid it. We're addicted to comfort. How dare we not have a bed that moves up and down on the push of a button and a semi-osmotic non-nuclear pillow that has the silk of the third world of this and that and allergy-free this and gluten-free that. I mean, we, it's gotten pretty bad here. Oh, no, I can't eat that salad because that salad was grown in Mexico and not in Northern California and the soil in Northern California. It's like, man, we are addicted to comfort. And not only, not only is God not addicted to comfort, he actually doesn't prefer it when it comes to your own transformation. So typically, when we feel like we're falling apart, we say, oh, Father, please help me do spiritual warfare. And he says, oh, child, this isn't warfare. This is a father and a daughter taking a walk. I love you, silly goose. <laughs> Enjoy the cup of my suffering. You know what's interesting? Um, Donna, Donna, show everybody your boots. Where's Donna at? It's dark in here. I feel like I'm on, in a nice restaurant with my wife somewhere. She ran out. God took her. There she is. Donna, come up here. Right on cue. Come up here. I want everybody to see your boots. So I had a conversation with Donna this morning, and the Lord showed me your boots. And so I want, I want you all to see these boots. She's so embarrassed. You lead worship, and you're still embarrassed because I'm making... All right, come up here. All right, these are boots. These are some nice boots. Are these not amazing boots? It's in the seasons. Thank you, ma'am. Great job. It's in the seasons where he says, put on those boots because I'm going to take you through a journey. Those are the seasons that groom us. You know, it's interesting. We, it's, it's like with God. We spend most of our time saving up for a, a season that we will have with him on vacation because somehow we've believed a lie that at some point me and God are going to be like a Hallmark movie. And it, you know, in Hallmark movies, everybody's smiling happy all the time. Even the kids are so well-behaved and they're pouring coffee. Five-year-old ain't drinking coffee, but on Hallmark they do. And it's happy, happy, happy. We just think, well, if we can just hang on, there's going to be a, like a vacation season, an easy season. What if God just going to keep you into a rocking boat season to the day you die and then just teach you to be peaceful in the middle of the rocking boat? We think that there's the, the next season is going to be more calm. 
and parents that raise their kids, they tell young parents, I know you think when you get them out of diapers, it's going to calm down. It won't calm down ever. So we lose when we think opposite of the way the kingdom is or even life. Oh, I'm just in a tough season right now. Jesus Christ drank the cup of suffering and was crucified. <laughs> he, he was born to die. Your life is never going to be comfortable if you're becoming good friends with God. But what's going to happen is he's actually going to produce a joy and dare I say even happiness in you in the middle of being squeezed. You know, you don't know who you are until you're squeezed. You don't know. If someone, if I want to build a house, I'd rather have someone that's built about a hundred, not someone that teaches at Harvard about how to build one who's never built one. The greatest leaders are those that walk with the limp. Israel was birthed out of a wrestling match between Jacob and God. Your limp, it may cause you pain to get to that limp, but you actually can live from that place, that limp for the rest of your life. You see, a lot of people want Heidi Baker's anointing to heal. No, you don't, because you don't understand. She was anointed when she lived in Asia and wasn't walking in signs and wonders. Her power actually comes from her own suffering. You ever been arrested, stabbed, beaten, chased? You ever been sick twice till you're on the brink of death and you had miraculous healing? Like, in other words, the people who are walking the highest level of power in the kingdom are those who have been crushed because great wine gets crushed and sits on a shelf for a long time. Two Buck Chuck is a wine company that a couple went through a divorce and the husband got so mad, he, he, uh, he didn't want to give his wealth away. And he actually, long story short, he created a wine company. They make this wine in these steel vats. And it makes true wine connoisseurs very angry because it bypasses the product of how wine's supposed to be. You know, Jesus is a winemaker. We're going to go to John 2 today. We're in a series called Taste and See. His first miracle is wine? Doesn't save anyone's life? He's not raising Lazarus from the dead. He's not even doing an Old Testament type scenario where he's splitting the Red Sea. It's even very subversive, shall I say. But his first miracle gives us a glimpse into the heart of the one that made the wine. You know, I'm on this earth. I honestly, I believe, I just want to know God. If he wants me to be here and pastor this church until I'm 100, I'll do that. If he wants me to leave tomorrow, I'll do that. Wherever he takes me, there's one stipulation I have with God. That cloud just better go with me because I want to be captured in that cloud. Um, whether my home is Greenville uh, or Augusta National or wherever, um, at this point I really don't care because I'm not from here. The nicest bottle of wine I've ever seen was someone in Charleston one time. It was a $1,200 bottle of wine. I remember thinking, that's a house payment. And the sommelier said, oh, there's more than that. There's $20,000 bottles of wine. And I, I remember thinking, is that in pesos, American currency? What are you talking about? And these people will spend $20,000 for a bottle of wine. Typically, here's how wine goes. Um, to the degree of the purification process of the grapes and to the degree in which how long it sits on a shelf is the metric of how good it is. And I asked the Lord a question one time. It's fascinating what he told me. They marveled at the wine. We'll read that in a second. And I said, why is that? And he said, because the wine is timeless. He said, picture a, a bottle of wine sitting on a shelf for a millions of years. Multiply that times billions and billions, and you're not even to the, be the beginning of it. This wine came from Jesus himself, and he's timeless. He's eternal. So when they tasted that wine, they were like, 
what's going on here. So you think, let's say a thousand year old bottle of wine, which is unheard of, would be great. What if he had a kabillion, zillion, kabillion, kabillion bottle of wine and see, you can't even get to the beginning of it. That's how big he is. Well, Jesus is the wine. He's the wine poured out. And what's actually been happening at Bridgeway is he's been mending the nets and creating a new structure of wine skins to contain this new wine that he's pouring out. That's why we had to go to one service. That's why we had to get on the same page. And it's why I told the elders that people would leave our church in the next season. Last year, I said giving would double. This year, I said I got even greater news for you. God's about to prune this church so hard, we're only going to need one service. And then from there, it'll grow. So Jesus is the wine. When you know the nature of someone, you can always predict his or her behavior. A duck quacks. A dog barks. I've never seen anyone, when they see a dog bark, just wig out. How did you do that? But if a duck barked, it'd be on social media instantly. Well, when you know the nature of someone, you can typically predict his behavior. Some of you don't need another uh, prophetic word. You need to get to know him through the Logos word because in your season right now, the same characteristics he's going to show in John 2, he's that same person you need right now. And, And so if you're saying, well, I don't know how to get a prophetic word, what you're saying is you don't know how to read because it's right here. It's powerful. This, this powerful. I mean, matter of fact, this is more powerful than a prophetic word. It is. Sorry. All right, here we go. John 2. Let's jump in here. We've got 23 minutes and 40 seconds. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Do you ever stop and reflect on the non-huge moments that Jesus must have had with his mom and siblings? Imagine one of your siblings being God. Jesus had his diaper changed. He took naps. He's a kid. He grew up. This isn't an ordinary son. And something happens along the way, minus Gabriel. Imagine you're about to conceive of your child, moms, and angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God shows up. I mean, you got that to hang on to. That's a little dramatic. You put that in your journal. But for as many dramatic moments as Mary had with her son, she had thousands of non-dramatic moments. It's in the non-dramatic moments of our life that God grooms us. We typically want that extraordinary moment. Boring will always bring your breakthrough. Always. It will always bring your breakthrough. So we have a couple of dramatic moments in the 30 years that preceded this. One was Gabriel. And I'll admit, that's pretty dramatic. Hey, um, you're going to get pregnant. God's going to put God, he's going to put himself in your belly in the form of flesh. And Mary thought, all righty. You think you've been given a big word. No, you have not. Uh, and, and then when he's 12, he goes to the temple. And that's really all we know. But she knew something was different about this one. James didn't come to faith in his own brother who was God, half-brother, until 30 years after the resurrection. Blows my mind. I, I, I want to see on DVD when I get to, if there's DVD in heaven, I want to see a picture when I get to heaven of what their reunion was like. James' brother was God. That fascinates me. But a bunch of boring moments ended up becoming a huge moment, and that's where we are in John 2. Mary had to know something. I don't know what she knew because we don't have any record of Jesus doing anything miraculous until what's about to happen. But she knew something. And here's what I think. I think Jesus probably said, Mom, we need to talk. And she probably said, I need a Zoloft. (laughs) What do you mean? Mom, this is what Gabriel meant. This is why I disappeared when I was 12 in the temple. And at some point, Mom, prophetic words manifest And the Messiah is not coming anymore. The Messiah has come and he's your son. So 
they go to a wedding that I personally believe they were invited at, I think it was a connection with the family. I, I think that's why they were there. So let me tell you a little bit about Jewish wedding. Seven days minimum, and it was a party from sun up to sundown. I one time did a wedding. I was at a wedding that lasted about nine minutes. It's pretty much the opposite of that. Seven days. And let me tell you what would bring disgrace upon a family at the top of the food chain, minus a bride jetting off and running, or the groom saying they can't do this, which would be unthinkable. Uh, what would bring the biggest amount of disgrace is not to host well, and specifically what that would look like is run out of wine. It would never happen. You don't run out of wine. They must have had a lot of wine because seven days. And so here's what happens. They have a conversation, and uh, he's not so ordinary anymore. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. Let's go back. Um, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. When the wine was gone. You're going to be okay in life as long as his wine's never gone from you. No matter how hard it gets, no matter if every horde of hell comes after you, no matter if it looks like you're about to be destroyed, as long as his wine's in you, you're going to be okay. So in the natural, it looked like everything was falling apart. Mama knew something. I'm going to ask her one day. She knew something. And I love the Lord's response. Be careful how you read this. People typically read God this way. Woman, why do you involve me? I'm serious. 95, when Bob Jones, the prophet, died, he said 95% of God's kids in the kingdom still don't know he loves them. What if he read it this way? Woman, why are you involving me? Wink. You know what she said? Yes, where they run out of wine. He puts down his matzo bread and his Moe's nachos. Woman, why are you involving me? It's not my time yet. Apparently it was his time. His mother said to the servants, see that word servant there, by the way? Whenever the Lord's on the scene, he's not your buddy. He's your master and you're the servant. He's the lead dog. People that have a hard time with submission don't even understand that Jesus was submitted to his own mom. His mom released him in the ministry. Golly. If that doesn't bless you. Hey, by the way, I'm, I'm starving uh, for revelation in my life right now. And so I've gone to two verses because in the next 18 minutes and 15 seconds, I want you to get it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God, but things revealed to us belong to us. In both scenarios, the secret things and the things being revealed to us, it comes from a lead dog. He is the lead dog in this pack. You've never stumbled upon any type of wisdom or revelation that has not been given to you by God himself. So, so watch this. So you want to know how to get more revelation? People don't understand this. You ask for it. I can prove this in James and I can prove it in Ephesians 1, 17. Paul prays, I pray that he would continue to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I do what I do. I would say every day. I can't remember last day. I said, Father, I want to grow in your revelation. And, and by the way, like James says, don't doubt it. Because if you doubt, you're tossed around like waves. Watch what happens. It's amazing. Maybe God is real. When you start asking for revelation from a pure place, you'll get more revelation in one week than you would going to get 10 degrees. Not 10 degrees like cooler so it's fall and it doesn't feel like August. I'm talking about degrees on your wall. 
By the way, we got to break this thing off. We got to pray. I don't know what's going on out there. I, in the outside, I'm a, it's like August 4th. I tried to wear a sweater three weeks ago to speed it up and it backfired on me. Um, and then here we go. Here's some principles that I pray. I, I bless this house in the name of Jesus with revelation. Nearby stood six stone water jars and the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. I love this. I want to get so practical. If you're a note taker, maybe write it down on your phone or whatever. God gives specific instructions here. And by the way, I'm saying God because he was God. You got to understand that he's God. Because God can be in your midst, ask Israel, and you not know it. Because the Jews said, our father's Abraham. They were talking to their covenant-cutting God. God can be in your midst and you not know it. The, the, the anointing you need for your own breakthrough can be on your own child. And your spirit of familiarity with that child can keep you from receiving the breakthrough you know. Ask James. Just because God's in your midst doesn't mean much. You've got to have eyes to see, ears to hear. Oh, that's just so-and-so. You sure about that? You sure that's just so-and-so? So he gives a, I'm going to use the word, command. Now, we don't like that. God told me this morning, and this is, this is good. This is awful, but it's great. He said, I want you to tell Bridgeway something. I was in the shower this morning, and he said, when you become more focused on democratic American politics, you forget that you're from a kingdom who, which is a theocracy and not a democracy. And what begins to happen is this. Wait, 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 wait. What begins to happen is this. You put your democratic mindset on a theocracy and you forget that he's not getting voted in or out and, and he actually doesn't really care about your opinions nearly as much as you think. But what we do is what we focus on, we become, we are superimposing a democratic mindset on a theocracy. Heaven has no idea what it is. So what we do is this. This is what he told me. People mistake advice with the command. People that are walking with the Lord many times say, thank you for that advice. And he's thinking in his mind, that wasn't advice. That was a command. An advice from a friend is not the same thing as a command from the Lord. You have to do what he says, when he says, and how he says it. And here's what happens. When we say, thank you for that wisdom, Lord, and then we take our own reasoning and put our wisdom into the middle of his wisdom, it becomes convoluted and demonic. Here's what happens. His wisdom now leaves and you are left only with your wisdom. I can even prove this. Look at this. Can we go back? There's details here. Fill the jars with water. What's, look at this next part. So they filled them to the brim. God showed me a picture this morning that many people, even in this church, in our lives, your lives, maybe your marriage, that you're around, your kids, many people will get a word from the Lord and they'll fill half a, a bucket up with it. He said, fill it up, not put water in there. He didn't say, put some water and I'll do the rest. He said, Fill the jars with water. When you get a revelation from God, you need to actually be listening to the details of that word. Because you can hear from God and then say, I got it. And he's saying, you sort of got it. And when you sort of get it with God, you don't get it. They fill them to the brim. Now watch this. He gives a second command, not advice. He gives second command. Watch what happens this time. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. I, I asked him this morning, why did you not just tell them all at one time? Here's how I would say it. All right, uh, everyone, there's six buckets. Uh, fill them out, then draw, draw water and take it. He did not do that. He did it in stages. He gives us stages of commands to see if we will be obedient along the way. 
why did God not tell Abram in Genesis 12 that he was going to test him with Isaac in Genesis 22? He did not tell him. He did not tell him. Because me saying yes to my destiny is not one fell swoop. It's, it's a bunch of yeses every day. Fill it to the brim. Yes, sir, I did that. Now, here's your second command. Draw some water out. See, we lump everything together with God. He is actually way slower. He's slow to anger. He's also slow to helping us walk out what he's calling us to do. He gives two stages. If they would not have done what he said the first time, I believe he would have stopped. Abraham's test actually was greater in 22 than it was in 12. My point is this. You're never going to stop being tested. And just because you pour water in the bucket of whatever he's telling you to do, doesn't mean you filled it up all the way. Half-truths are demonic and will lead to your destruction. Ask Samuel. You know what's interesting? Saul was about 98% obedient to what God asked him to do. He did about 98%. Samuel comes in and says, hey, I smell the blood of 2%. You know what Samuel said? You didn't fill the bucket up to the brim takes his sword and slices that king and says, now, you've done, you've, you've done what God told you to do. And you say, well, what's the big deal? If you ever ask what's the big deal or if you think this is legalistic, it shows that you're worshiping more of a buddy Christ than a sovereign king. Because when a, when a king gives a decree, you don't mix your opinion with it. You don't, it's like, hey, can we talk? No. We've created an image of God that is not fully accurate. I've never had God ask me for my opinion. In my lifetime, I've never had him say, can we talk? I really need you right now. And by the way, I've rarely had God give me his wisdom without me asking for it. I got a great story. My wife, she's an awesome woman. Her and her daughter and both of her sons, they lose stuff all the time. A lot. Yesterday, Wendy uh, was taking Ruthie to Atlanta to see Wendy's grandmother's 96th birthday, be there for the birthday party, and, and Ruthie was a wreck. And are you in here, babe? And uh, she might be serving downstairs. And Ruthie couldn't find $25. It was in her wallet. She couldn't find her wallet. And uh, Lord got mad at me because I, I made it worse, but that's beside the point. But um, <laughs> I was trying to teach her a lesson. The Lord's like, knock it off. Um, well, one time, Wendy lost her keys. She really had to be somewhere. And she got mad. And, and uh, she went, Lord, why didn't you tell me where my keys were? And she said, he talked back to her so loud, it shocked her. He said, because you didn't ask me. She's like, Lord, why didn't you tell me? Because she finally found them. Why didn't you tell me where they were? Because you didn't ask me. You want to know why we don't have revelation? We don't ask for it. When you yearn for wisdom and you place that as one of the highest values in your life, guess what? You will get it. And the difference in wisdom and smarts are not the same thing. You can be 15 years old and have more wisdom than a 60-year-old elder of a church somewhere. You want to know why? Because wisdom is given. Because Deuteronomy 29, 29, you and God are not learning wisdom together. He is wisdom. And he gives you wisdom. How do you get it? You ask for it. All right, so watch this. This is great. Now the master of the banquet tested the water and had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. I, 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 this is awesome. 
Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. When Jesus shows up in a place, a church, a family, a business, it's always the best. Your life may have run out of wine, honestly, 15 years ago. You are one repentant prayer away from having fresh wine poured on your life. You know what it takes to get it, though? You have to admit that he has something that you don't have. On Brian Woodard's epitaph, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I guarantee it's going to be there. Is Brian here this morning? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Never? One of the most dangerous things for a close friend of God to do is you lean on his wisdom until you get to a certain place, but then you start trusting your own and you mix your wisdom with his wisdom. Whenever you mix anything with wine, it doesn't really taste good. Now, this is going to be a little bit gross, but... Just go with it for a second. I'm not trying to even be funny, but here it is. Imagine someone giving you a $500 bottle of wine and, and you say, you know what, though? It's not that big a deal to put a little bit of sour cream in it. No one would have that thought. You'd get locked up. They'd take you somewhere. But that's what we do when we put our wisdom and mix it with God's wisdom. And see, you actually can have a great track record with God that you've walked in wisdom for a long time. The better place to stay always is that you really don't know anything. And I don't even mean self-deprecation. Even if you have 15 doctorates, you need to remind him on a daily basis, hey, every bit of revelation I've ever had is from you, and I need thee right now more than I've ever needed thee. And then here's what happens. In the spirit, you just, you smell like grapes all the time. What if in the spirit, you were just known as the great man? Because you leaned on him so much that his wine just got all over you. Well, you know how the story goes. Can't wait to talk to him about it one day. We watch what happens up here. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let me tell you what happens when you don't let him crush grapes. It's the rich young ruler. Let's go there, Ashley. This is a practical way to not fill your bucket up to the brim and to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And by the way, he got really close to Jesus. Jesus was on his scene. It still didn't matter. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? God actually liked this guy. Next verse. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, and you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And here it comes. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've done since I was a boy. No problem, good job. One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come then and follow me. At this man, he fell face down. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Look at the Lord's response here. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in this passage is not talking about the afterlife. It's talking about here and right now. You can be born again and not be living in the kingdom of God. And here's only one way you know. You ready? To enter the kingdom of God, you have to completely surrender all of your rights. It's not your job. 
It's not your marriage. It's not your future. It's not your past. It's not your money. It's not your decisions. People who spend time worrying about their future prove that they are not in the kingdom of God. They said, Master, teach us how to pray. He said, no problem. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most commentaries you read will be talking about how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven with him forever. It's not what he's talking about at all. What the rich young ruler does not know is this. If he had given up everything, the Lord would have given him more on this earth and the one to come. When you surrender to this loving king, he can't help himself. He gives you more. When's the last time you've been so dead, so surrendered that you had to ask God to quit blessing you? I'm serious. You said, what are you talking about, Willis? What are, you, what are you doing up here? When you die to this king, not only are you not miserable, you're happy and you're light. You don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. I've done the other route where you try to take life into your own hands and you try to figure things out. It's just best to not do that. If he says, fill it to the brim, fill it to the brim. The Lord actually had compassion on this fellow. Great compassion. But that fellow could not give everything to a king. You can be born again and go to heaven when you die and never enter the kingdom of God while you're on earth. The only way power comes from your life is if you're fully surrendered. You enter the king, the kingdom, king's domain, kingdom, king's domain, and the first prayer to enter the kingdom is, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said to the cup of suffering, that passage, Lord, I don't, Father, I don't want this. However, not my will, but your will be done. The happiest people I know are the people that are already dead. You see, so getting crushed, those grapes just getting pounded on, you think it'd make you miserable. Nope, it turns into sweet, beautiful, long-tasting, celebration, party wine. Now, it may be bitter before that wine's ready. Stick your head in those grapes before it's been purified. You ain't gonna like it. It's not gonna be a party. But as you are, are, are being excreted by the Father and his angelic realm, as you are getting purified, as you are having things in you relinquished, it may not taste good right now, but hang on just a little longer. Hang on just a little bit longer, and in 12 years, someone's going to say, I want to taste what's on you. What, what, what's going on with you? And you'll be able to point back. You don't know when I was being crushed. But you've got to have the faith to know that when you're being crushed, the party is coming. The party's coming. Because the Lord never crushes anyone ever that doesn't have a party in mind. He's crushing you for others to enjoy. And here's what happens. As you're being crushed, here's how you know it's God and you're in a great place with him. You say, come on, what else do you want to do? Not my will, but your will be done. Right before God showed Wendy and I that we would take over leadership of City Church, Steve Keyes came and looked at me one day. He said, you're going to be the next pastor of this church. What Steve didn't know is that week I had surrendered to move my entire family to Taipei, Taiwan. And the father, through a series of events, I'll tell the story maybe one day, through a series of events, had been testing Wendy and I. Right before we took the job to stay here and stay at the church is when my wife wept. And she said, Father, I give you a blank check. I don't care where you send us as long as the cloud goes with us. And as soon as us as a couple said, not our will, but your will be done, boom. Many of you don't have the door open for you that you need to be open because you're not dead yet. And if you'll just totally surrender 
then the wine process can begin. Let's stand together. Father keeps showing me a a blessing that I grew up under most of my life. And I hope I can find it. Gosh, I hope I can. Give me a second. This is awesome. Probably make my mom and dad cry on this one because we heard it our whole lives from Dr. Alistair Walker in Spartanburg, South Carolina. You'd think I'd have it memorized after all those years, but I don't. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God bless.